Hey, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy folks. You're with Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. Glad you are here today with me. This is the day the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice, and we're going to be glad in it. Amen. Well, God's grace and peace uh, be unto you this day. Uh, I think you're very much aware uh, one of the uh, key topics uh, discussed on this podcast uh, is the uh, emphasis on biblical masculinity and the restoration of biblical manhood. We really do believe it's a key uh, to this generation and it's extremely important. And as men, we, we need to understand some things about ourselves and what God has called us to do and to be as men. What are our duties? What are our responsibilities before God? Uh, because the kingdom principle is God's authority rests upon and works through men who uh, walk in their duties and responsibilities before God. And and of course, we live in a fallen world. We contend with a, a sinful nature, that old man, when it's demanding desires and passions. And as men, we just have to understand we have strengths and we have weaknesses. And so the key is we must guard our strengths and always work on shoring up our weaknesses. Um, in times past, we, we have talked about the... Uh, sort of the battle from within and the battle from without when it comes to biblical manhood. Because um, in today's generation, there is just mass confusion when it comes to the role and function of men, women, and children uh, in our nation. And the enemy is just having a field day, this, this author of confusion, and he's just working overtime uh, to bring forth the feminization of men and, of course, the masculinization of women. And, boy, this uh, chaos has just taken its toll uh, upon our children. They are massively confused, and the enemy is devouring their souls. They're literally, their minds are being raped. They're mutilating their bodies. Uh, they're cutting themselves. They're, they're just... Uh, you know, identifying not just as different genders, but even as animals. You know, I mean, it's just insane what is going on uh, in our nation and in the world. And, uh, you know, we, we're, just, we're just living at a time uh, with this whole sort of toxic masculinity 
that we're raising boys to believe that they're somehow defective women. And so a lot of young men, they're just kind of giving up. They're just giving up on manhood altogether. And that is problematic on many, many levels because honestly, as far as the advancement of the gospel of the kingdom, whoever wins the men, you know, basically wins the future, right? So it's either the kingdom of darkness that gets the men or the kingdom of God. And I definitely agree with uh, Jordan Peterson on this account where he talked about every church, you know, should have a billboard that says, young men, you're needed here. Young men, come to the church. We need you and you need us. And that is absolutely true brothers and sisters. So today I want to kind of talk about some of the weaknesses as men. You know, some of the, what I would call the besetting sins of men. Now, again, in times past, we talked about, you know, when it comes to the fall and uh, dealing with sin, you know, there's original sin, that, that came with the fall, you know, we're conceived in sin, from the womb we go astray, right? Every man does what is right in his own eyes, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. There is none good, no, not one. That's the human uh, condition. Uh, and then there's the actual sins that we commit. And, you know, the apostle Paul goes to great length describing the works of the flesh, you know, the lust, the anger, you know, the, the jealousy, the envy, the witchcraft, I mean, on and on and on and goes, disobedient to parents, right? Outbursts of anger, you know, all these works of the flesh. And these are the actual sins that we commit. But one of the things the church just has refused to deal with, for the most part, is the uh, sins according to gender, according to our sex, so there's inherent weaknesses in men, and there are inherent weaknesses in women due to the fall of man. And so when we're dealing with uh, biblical masculinity and this call to restore manhood, we do have to understand there's a default template when it comes to our manhood. And it comes from the first Adam. When his manhood was demanded, he went south. He became passive and he became irresponsible, okay? And, 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 and with that, you know, that's, you know, because of his failure as the federal head of mankind, you know, that inherent sinful trait has been passed to us as males. It comes with the first Adam. And we have to deal with that, gentlemen. Because when it talks about passivity, I mean, let's face it, men are angry, right? We're angry, we're aggressive. In some ways, God's wired us to be that way, uh, you know, so we can defend, like women and children, you know, um, defend our, our, our nation, right, uh, against invasion, things of this nature, right? Uh, you know, we, we, we were made uh, to fight, okay? That's just a part of our makeup uh, as men not to be bullies, not to be a violent man. God abhors that, okay? But talking about in, 
in the realms of defense, right? You know, somebody breaks into your home, wants to harm your family, men, it's our duty to intervene, interpose to protect our family, right? So uh, that's a good thing. That's, that's using our strength and our aggression in a good way, all right? But we, you know, when it talks about the passivity of the fall, it's, it's, it's like we're being passive, like towards righteousness, towards like godliness, towards holiness. You know, if you look at most men in the church, you know, they want the women to do all the heavy spiritual lifting. You know, it's just the, the sin of Adam, the silence of Adam, the passivity of Adam, right? Um, you know, they just want to, you know, go to work and, you know, watch football games and, you know, things of this nature, kind of live out their manhood osmosis, you know, through, you know, video games and, you know, sports and celebrities and action, you know, figures and movies and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So it's that sort of passivity that I'm talking about. Okay. And then there's their irresponsibility. And so when it's talking about the irresponsibility, it's kind of brings forth the same kind of dilemma, right? Because men could be very responsible. In other words, have a strong work ethic, work very, very hard, but be negligent in their duty towards their wives, towards their children, towards the church and their community when it comes to spiritual and moral leadership. So men, we, we got to deal with this inherent weakness from within this passivity, this irresponsibility. And then of course, you know, there's this battle from without, right? You know, the whole feminist movement, you know, toxic masculinity, right? And, you know, and just, you know, manhood has just been pummeled, right? Uh, and so, we, you know, we got to deal with that. Um, and so we're sort of getting attacked from the inside and we're sort of getting attacked from the outside, okay? And so we, we do have to deal with that, all right? So that's sort of the inherent weakness from within, uh, when we're dealing, you know, with the restoration of biblical manhood. But I also want to talk about like three major besetting sins. And you could add a fourth one, and I'll touch on that too. But when it comes to biblical manhood and biblical masculinity, there, there are three dangerous besetting sins that men, we just got to look it in the eye and we got to deal with. So when I talk about besetting sins or something that besets, you know, let's give a definition, right? So, you know, when we're talking about besetting, th this is um, something like a persistent trouble or a continual problem or a difficulty that never seems to go away. You know, I mean, you just live in your life going along and then there's just this something, you know, it's sort of like the Godfather, right? You know, every time I try to get out of this life, they just drag me back in, right? And that's something that besets. And in the realm of sin, we're talking about a particular sin or particular sins that create a pattern in our life. And that pattern eventually creates a stronghold in a believer's life. You know, when I was parenting, you know, my wife, my first wife and my second wife and I, you know, we've raised 13 children. 
And yeah, you know, we monitored their behavior. We homeschooled them, you know, we taught them, we instructed them, we disciplined them, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't like, you know, we were, you know, over their shoulder constantly monitoring everything they're saying and they're, they were doing. But one of the things I did pay attention to when it came to our children's behavior and, and level of morality and spirituality is I would observe uh, a, like patterns of sin, right? Like certain things that it was constant, whether it was, you know, coming to eating their food or going to sleep at night or, or you know, rolling of the eyes or whatever the case may be. But there were certain patterns in their life, and, and those were the hills, literally, that I was prepared to die on. Like, I'm going to die or this thing's going to be broken in your life. You know, because, you know, when, when there's a, a pattern of sin, it really can develop into a demonic stronghold that will control a person's life. And it's never good, never good, right? It, it brings you down a dark, you know, black hole. Uh, that can bring ruination uh, into our lives. And so when, so when we're talking about besetting sins, uh, also know that's accompanied with familiar spirits, right? We do have to understand in the spiritual realm, you know, there's principalities, there are powers, there's rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, right? Some of them are called familiar spirits. And what does that mean? That means that they're familiar with us. They observe us. You know, they see how we react and respond in life. Certain words, certain situations, you know, we, we react in a certain way. Um, you know, and this is how some of the ways the enemy tempts us, Right? I mean, you, you know, you, you know, in your life, certain situations come up or you hear certain words, you know, it's almost like they press the button and we're like automatic, like we're on automatic. We're going to go down that road. We're going to do that thing. Right. And so these are real issues, brothers and sisters, as believers, and especially as men, we have to contend with. We have to be aware. We have to look it squarely in the eye. Right. Why? Because we want to overcome. We want to walk in the liberty of Christ, right? We, we want to be, you know, pleasing sons, servants, and soldiers of the Most High God. And I could remember, um, brothers and sisters, like when I was in California pursuing an acting career, and I was, you know, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and, man, I was just being torn apart, man. Like, I, you know, I... I my heart, I, I really did love God, but in my, my thoughts and my actions, I was failing him, you know, on a consistent basis. You know, I was contending with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And you know what I mean? And I just dealing with all the temptation of living in Hollywood. And I was trying to walk the straight and narrow. And man, it, you know, it was a mixed bag. You know, and there were some times I was able and other times I failed miserably. And at one point, seriously, when I was a young man, you know, I just decided the best thing to do was like to make a record, right? And just put it on automatic pilot. And all the record would say was, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. 
right? Because of this struggle, you know, with the old man and its passions and its desires and its demands, you know, in my life, you know, and, and so, man, I know, I know this battle firsthand and I can just remember brothers and sisters, it was so precious and I, I'll treasure it to the day I die. But there was a point in California when God really began to intervene and reclaim me and call me to himself and call me to the ministry and to leave behind acting and the whole Hollywood scene. And, and he was just dealing with me, you know, some through, you know, discipline, some through incredible grace and drawing me by his Holy Spirit and revealing himself to me in very miraculous ways. But I remember just one night, I'm literally laying on the couch there and for the first time in my young adult life, I was aware I was free. Like I was free. Like the besetting sins, these familiar spirits, these things that were dominating my life, controlling my life, hounding me, haunting me, you know, all of a sudden it was gone. It was just gone. And I became aware of it. And I just remember just getting on my knees and crying out to God with thanksgiving. And one of the things I did right at that moment, I said, God, I know you set me free. Get that all. Here's my ear. I'm going to be your bondservant. I'm giving you my freedom to love, serve, and obey you all the days of my life. And so, brothers and sisters, you know, obviously that was a tremendous breakthrough. God had delivered me from evil. He had, you know, um, removed and broke the power of these besetting sins. You know, these things weren't dominate me all, you know, all the time. I mean, so it's awesome, right? But, you know, as, as men, we do have to deal with this stuff. It's very real, right? And so, what, you know, why am I doing this? Because I want men uh, to overcome. I want them to break through. I want them to walk in the liberty and the freedom of Christ. But when it comes to besetting sins, probably the three biggest besetting sins of men are lust, anger, and pride. That's right. Lust, anger, and pride. Now, you could add another one to this list. And it does need to be addressed and conquered. Uh, another one I would say is laziness. Okay, so the big three, lust, anger, and pride. And the fourth, laziness. Now, obviously, there's other issues that we have to deal with, you know, uh, when it comes to desiring to, you know, develop a godly character in our life. Uh, but those are huge, right? And, you know, especially when it comes to laziness, you know, we're talking about, hey, you know, as men and even as women and children, you know, we're called of God to fulfill the cultural mandate and, uh, you know, and to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, lazy people are not going to fulfill that, right? It's going to take people who, uh, you know, are responsible, have a strong work ethic, right? So critically important. And so we're going to deal with this first one called lust all right and boy lust it's um man it, it's such a devious 
lie. It's like such an incredible deception, you know, because the problem with lust is it, it can never be satisfied, right? There's never a point when a person is being driven by lust where they're content and they come to satisfaction. Like it always demands more. It's like, like a fire, right? The only way a fire ever comes to an end, unless he, you know, I mean, in and of itself, it, it just consumes everything that fire, you know, attaches itself to, right? It just consumes, consumes, consumes until things are burnt out, okay? And this is true when it comes to any addiction, drugs and, you know, alcohol or porn or, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, I, I could remember um, this again, this is, was in Hollywood and I was running with some actors, uh, some of them, you might remember, I, rem I don't remember the series, but it was Richard Thomas, the, the black guy with the glasses, him and some fellow actors on that show uh, I got together with and we became friends and they were the first ones that introduced me to crack cocaine. Now I was, I was a Christian, I was saved, God had saved me. But again, you know, I was just being entangled again, you know, with, with, the, you know, with worldliness and carnality and sin and, and stuff. And so I could remember the first time I had smoked crack cocaine, you know, with these actors in Hollywood. And I remember taking a hit and it was like in one second, I was like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, like the greatest philosophers of the world. Like my consciousness expanded and I had all this stuff just flowing out of my mouth. Man, these guys were looking at me like, oh my gosh, like they were actually looking at me in awe, like what in the world is this guy? What the heck is he spouting here? But I will tell you, man, it was intense. I did reach that stage of higher consciousness. You know what I mean? And this stuff was just flowing out of me like unbelievable. And then it was, a, you know, this tremendous high. And then right after that, I got together with them again. And here the trap was sprung because... I smoked it again, and guess what? I didn't quite reach that same high. And so what was demanded? More. I need more. And, and brothers and sisters, that's when the hook comes in your jaw. And that's when you start to get reeled in. And that, again, that can come... That's from food, that, that could be food, that could be drugs, that could be alcohol, that could be porn. You can name the poison, but what I'm telling you, when it comes to the nature of lust, it is a demanding taskmaster, it, and, and it, it, it never says enough. It always says more. Now, I'm not saying that every, um, you know, every person that watches porn like becomes a serial killer but do you know one of the common denominators of all serial killers it started with porn and i'm telling you one once you open that door
and you start going down that road, it will turn you into a beast. You will think and do things that you never thought was possible. And so, brothers, I'm talking to you. We got to deal with this. And we got to deal with it forthrightly and frankly, because this is an enemy to our soul, and it is a major besetting sin in the body of Christ. I'm not talking about the world out there. I'm talking in the body of Christ, churchmen, right? So here's 1 John 2.16, right? 1 John says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world, and we know this world and its lusts are passing away, and we don't want to pass away with it. Amen? And so, you know, here, here's the thing, because, you know, obviously when God created the earth and created us on it, everything was very good. There was a lot of good, natural desires and passions that God placed within man, Uh, I remember reading Michael Foster's great book, It's Good to Be a Man, and he he said some pretty outstanding, but some would consider like outrageous statements. Like like if you're you're a prude, I'm going to tell you, you you, you struggle with his book. But he he stated that sex is the engine that inspires men to fulfill the cultural mandate established by God in creation. And so, gentlemen, understand sexual desire. God put it there. It's good. It's glorious. It's great. All right? It's powerful. All right? But, again, biblically, what was the purpose? Well, to subdue, take dominion, be fruitful, you know, be fruitful and multiply, and, you know, and subdue the earth. Amen? And so, to be fruitful and multiply means copulation, right? It means the sexual act between a man and a woman. And God says, this is very good. There's no, listen, and when it comes to raising your kids, don't present sex as dirty or as sinful. It's not. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's a powerful gift that God gave to men to enjoy. We're the ones that distort it. We're the ones that pervert it. Not God. It's good. It's very good. And so when it comes to lust, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, see, we're taking things that God gave, you know, to us to enjoy and for him to be glorified. And what we do with it uh, is we obsess on it. We excessively obsess on them to the point we go into the realms of immorality or gluttony or other extreme abuses to our bodies that not only harm ourselves, but can harm others. And so, brothers, listen, having a strong sexual desire is not sinful in and of itself. Okay, obviously God wants that desire fulfilled through the covenant of marriage. We know that all sexual expression outside of marriage is sin. It's sexual immorality. And God continually warns of sexual immorality. Apparently it's pretty serious to him. 
All right? And if he takes it serious, gentlemen, we need to take it serious. Okay? And so, obviously, one of the things that we're needing uh, is the, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's called self-control. Right? So, the natural blessing of a sex drive, all right, where there's a temptation to go beyond the limits and start, you know, heading into the realms of immorality, self-control. Because if we don't do that, we can take something that's very good that God gave us to enjoy, and we can make it ugly, we can debase it, and we can pervert it. God forbid. Okay, and so, you know, one of the things that Jesus taught when he came, you remember that part where he said, you heard it said, but now I say to you, you remember that part in Matthew, right? And it's so interesting because, you know, in some ways people think that, you know, Jesus, well, he did come to fulfill the law. There's, there's no doubt about it. But he also came to make the law effectual, okay? So he, he, he says, basically, you heard it said, but now I say to you. So in some ways, he's, he's, um, he's kind of turning the heat up on the diagnostic test of the law upon the souls of men. So like in the Old Testament, you were guilty if you did the physical act of adultery, and by the way, that was the death penalty in the Old Testament. That's how serious this was to the Almighty. But Jesus comes along and says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So in the Old Testament, you were guilty of doing it. In the New Testament, you're guilty of thinking and meditating on it. Now why now why is that? You know, see Jesus Jesus is using the law lawfully, right? He he is getting to the core because the problem with man is now outside of him as the humanists teach. Humanists teach um, man is inherently good. It's in his environment that is screwed up. And that's why he does the crazy things that he does. Well, the Bible doesn't totally rejects that. Jesus said the problem is not outside of us. It's within us. It's out of the heart of men that all this evilness and wickedness, you know, takes place in the earth. And so he, he, what Jesus is doing, he, he's going right to the core of the sin and crime factory that's, you know, like, you know, has taken up residence in our soul, in our heart, in the heart of man, right? And he's going right to the root of it. And he's the only one that can get there, by the way. He's the only one can get to the root of these things and like, like rip it out of our lives and not only forgive our evil sin and wickedness, but break its power over our lives. And so brothers, listen to me. You know, God, God made men to be stimulated visually by our eyesight. Women, well, well, now, I mean, women are now starting to get involved in the whole porn plague uh, more and more. Um, but historically, 
traditionally, it, men are stimulated sexually by their eye gate. Okay, that's why the psalmist says, I'm not going to set anything wicked before my eyes, right? We got we to gotta guard our eye gates because that's how we are inflamed. That's how we are inspired, right? That, that's what turns the switch on for us, okay? And this is why porn is such a deadly plague because in times past, guys, you know it, in times past growing up, you know, it was, you know, guys in trench coats, you know, in the seedy part of town, you know, with had, had to go to special places to, you know, purchase porn, you know, films or magazines or whatever the case may be. But believe me, you had to go to a great effort, you know, to accumulate and have access to porn. Today, it's a click away, just a click away. And there it is. Okay, and so we have to be vigilant. And honestly, brothers and sisters, we, we, what we have to do, and I, I could read, well, we have to do an exchange, right? An exchange of passions and desires. You know, when I came to Christ, you know, I was a very angry young man. I had explosive temper. I was an emotional basket case. I'd go from, I would just explode nuclear, mangle people, you know, and, and then I would just crash and just be tormented by such incredible regret and remorse because how I had hurt people really bad because I couldn't control my temper. I was just full of rage right and so i remember when i came to the lord it was like son i'm not going to take that anger out of you but i'm going to redeem it cuz i'm going to i'm going to give you different weapons because you're fighting a different enemy you could beat the crap out of people but that's never going to change them that's never going to change the inside of them they'll still be a jerk after you got done beating them up you know uh, that's not the way right and so even when it comes to lust and anger and stuff like this, you know, we, we have to exchange, right? So, you know, like in the book of James, it talks about the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I want you to pay attention to that word fervent. Fervent, that's like hot stuff, right? It, it, it denotes kind of a passion, a desire, a fervency, right? And so not all passions and desires are wrong. Some of them are godly and good. And it always amazes me, even when I see a lot of Christian men in church, they have no problem like, you know, showing passion and desire when it comes to our sinful nature. But boy, we are really subdued and silent. When it comes, let's say, to the praise of God, to the worship of God. Right? Isn't it amazing? We don't seem to have passion and desire there. Why? Why? Why don't we have passion and desire to be in the presence of God? You know, to shout our praises, to worship him. My gosh, was David 
a manly man? Are you kidding me? This guy was a fierce warrior. He danced so hard before the Lord, he knocked his clothes off of his body. Did God condemn him for that? Think he was weird? Now, other people did. His wife, Micah, certainly did. And she remained barren for the rest of her life. And I'm not telling you to, to you know, dance the fool and, and, and be foolish or anything like that. I'm just saying, guys, seriously. Like, we can show a lot of passion and desire when it comes to the things of this world. But we are so bound when it comes to expressing passion, desire, and love for our God. It's really weird, and it shouldn't be that way. And so, you know, I pray God gives you some, some clarity and freedom in that realm of life, guys. But listen, you know, lifting holy hands, singing loudly to the Lord, shouting unto God with a voice of triumph. Hey, these, these, are, you know, these are biblical admonishments, you know, from the scriptures, you know. And, and, and let me tell you, there, there is some, there's some freedom there. There's some liberty there. And I do believe it pleases the Lord. I, I, I think it, it honors him. And so, again, I'm not telling you to, you know, become a charismaniac and all that kind of stuff. But, man, guys, seriously, you know, what is our priority here when it comes to passion and desire? Is it just for the natural things of life? That's it? And we give God the leftovers when it comes to our passion and desire? I don't think that's right, gentlemen. We may have to change our priorities. All right. Next thing I want to deal with is anger. Let's face it, gentlemen, we're angry. You know, I told you about my, my, my growing up experience. Like, not just anger. I mean, like, uncontrollable rage. You know, if I wasn't beating up on flesh and blood, I was smashing my head into brick walls. I mean, literally, like, blood coming down my face, just screaming in torment, needing release from this beast that was inside of me, man, just devouring me and devouring others. And it's interesting, you know, the Apostle Paul declared that we're to be angry, but do not sin. Now, be angry is a command. And so, obviously, there, all anger is not ungodly. Not all anger is sinful, Right? Because um, there is such a thing called righteous indignation, right? There actually should be some things that anger, particularly men. You know, when we see injustice, you know, or we see someone being bullied, right? When we see the weak are being exploited. And, you know, and I even had that as a kid, even though I was like an angry young man, I even had that as a kid. Whenever I saw like an injustice or bullying going on, there was something that rose up in the inside of me to interpose, to intervene, you know, even though I myself was a madman. But I still had some of that, you know, on the inside of me, okay? And it would anger me, you know, and, and it would anger me to the point that I was moved to action, okay? So, you know, that's acceptable, brothers, 
But the problem is most of the time we get angry, it's all for, for all the wrong reasons, right? The reason why a lot of men get angry is because our wife and our children and other things like enter in and just interrupt our goals and our plans, right? So we get very frustrated and we express anger, okay? And I don't know about how you guys are, gentlemen, but for me, you know, I was very good at handling the big stress and the big pressures. You know, obviously I was in the front lines of the battle dealing with the demonic realm, the government, the pro-aborts, the sodomites, you name it. You know, uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of things that I had to deal with, you know, and make prayerfully, you know, good and wise decisions negotiating through that. And so I, I was very good under pressure, okay? But for me, it was the little foxes that spoiled the vine. And so, you know, dealing with my wife and my children, even though I did very well, dealing with the big stuff, the hard stuff, you know, they would do something bonehead, something stupid. And then a lot of everything that I had accumulated you know, dealing with the battle, dealing with these issues, sometimes I took it out on my family, okay? So they would experience my frustration and my anger. And now here, here's the thing. That didn't excuse maybe the sinful thing that they did and they needed discipline, but I also was in the wrong. I had sinned. And let me tell you something, gentlemen. You know, the older your kids become, the more they're going to be aware they're not, that you're not as perfect as they once thought. And they, they know. They know. Okay? And so my kids growing up, they knew dad was not a perfect man. But they did know that dad loved Jesus with all his heart. And so there were times, yes, I had to humble myself and get on my knees and look into my children's eyes and said, Daddy, sinned. I sinned against you. You didn't deserve my wrath. You didn't deserve my anger. You didn't deserve my frustration. And I am so sorry I took it out on you kids. Would you forgive me? And I got to tell you, in the long run, that did more to win them over than all my teachings and discipleship and mentoring, okay? It's just important, gentlemen, okay? And so, you know, we, we got we to gotta, we gotta deal with this anger issue, gentlemen, you know, because like I said, growing up and all that kind of torment and rage, you know, God you know, working in my life, taking me to the woodshed, and eventually he's just started to remove some of those roots and break some of those strongholds, and I gained some wisdom along the way, gained some patience along the way, some long-suffering along the way, and a lot more love and compassion for others. But here's the thing. Gentlemen, I'm still, I'm 67 years old. And obviously, when you get older, you kind of mellow out a little bit. 
But here's the thing. That beast is still there. That old man is still there. And so I consciously have to keep the chain on the beast. Why? Because I want to avoid one of the works of the flesh called the outbursts of anger. Okay? You know, Paul lists that in Galatians chapter 5. One of the works of the flesh is the outburst of anger. Okay? And uh, gentlemen, you know, we got to deal with it. We got to deal with the lust issue. We got to deal with the anger issue. Okay? And we got to put the chain on the beast. Okay? And, and, just, and this, this is just a side note here, guys. Listen, in this life, it's a series of problems that men, it's the burden of command we got to resolve, okay? It can be frustrating, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. But please hear me on this, gentlemen. It's always going to be there. It's never going to go away until you die. Do not let the circumstances of that reality steal from you precious moments you know, with the Lord, with your wife, and with your children. You've got to consciously say to your soul, hey, I get it. A lot of problems, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. You know what? I can't get to that right now because something beautiful is happening with my wife and my children and my family and my church. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to consciously and deliberately set it aside because I don't want you robbing me anymore of these beautiful, precious moments that God has blessed me with. And gentlemen, you got to do this consciously and you got to do it deliberately. Okay, last, last deal here. Pride. Okay, I, I once uh, did a controversial meme uh, on Facebook. And, uh, of course, I run with the abolitionist crowd and, and promote abolition. And so I just asked everybody, is there a worse sin or crime than child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood? And there was a lot of different responses, comments. And my comment was there is. And it's called pride. Pride. I mean, we're, we're talking deadly stuff here. I mean, most of us know the consequences of pride, right? Proverbs, you know, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And, of course, we've got to remember it was pride that turned Lucifer into the devil. And I think that gives us an indication why God hates it so much. Because in creation, you got to remember, the first sin was not Adam and Eve on the earth. The first sin was the fracturing of the kingdom in heaven. And what fractured the kingdom in he of heaven? Somehow, Lucifer got a gaze of himself, became intoxicated with himself, and pride and arrogance just filled his heart. And then, bam, the rebellion, right? And then God sends Michael, the archangel, grab him by the scruff of the neck, throw him out of heaven, and confine him here to the earth, right? And that's another teaching for another time. But the point being, 
I think one of the reasons why God hates pride the most is that's what initially fractured his kingdom. And so now this battle has come to the earth. And what is the purpose? To work through man, to work through this planet, to restore the kingdom. Okay? And I can teach on that later on. I'm writing a book, When the Kingdom, because that's so important. But the point being, guys, is God hates pride. He hates the pride of men. You know, Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Listen, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Well, you can, I'm just telling you, like in the world, like in pagans, oh my gosh. They're so full of themselves. They are so full of pride. And one of the things you'll, you'll know, it like, like guys even come into stores, right, and get angry. And they're so full of pride, just cursing and perversion comes out of their mouth. And they don't care. They don't care who's in the room. They don't care if it's women, children. They're just so full of pride, so full of arrogance, such boastful fools. Man, they just unleash profanity and vulgarity, and they don't give a rip. Right? You see it all the time. Well, God hates that. He hates that. And so he resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And here's the thing. The Bible admonishes us that we have to humble ourselves, right? Under God's mighty hand that in due time he will exalt us. And here's the thing, guys, and, 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 and this is for uh, all the brothers and sisters fighting the battle, you know, to abolish abortion and restore righteousness and justice in the gates of our land. That is a good work. It needs to continue. We need to, you know, uh, grow and expand uh, and be more effectual in that vision and mission but let me tell you something, we're dealing with a wild and cunning enemy. And if he can't get us going bad through overt sin, like lust and anger, right? He'll get us going good. Well, how does he do that? It's called self-righteousness and spiritual pride. I could remember, remember I was telling you at the beginning of this podcast, you know, the the night I became aware the Lord had set me free. Do you know one of the first lessons I learned right after that? It was two weeks later. I'm still in college. I'm still trying to pursue an acting career and getting training. And so here's the interesting thing. Two weeks later, after that incredible experience of walking in the liberty of Christ, I go back to college and I see college students playing the fool, and being sinful. And the first thing that happened, man, my nose went up in the air, and I got this, this condescending, self-righteous spirit that rose up on the inside of me. And it was like, wow. Like two weeks ago, I was participating in this crap, and now two weeks later... I'm this holier-than-thou guy, full of self-righteousness and spiritual pride. And once again, I had to be humbled before God and repent.
okay? Guys, we got to watch out for this stuff, especially when you consider our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the example he set. Now, I don't, I don't remember the guy who quoted this. He was a world leader, and he was, was kind of just talking about Jesus from the point of view of being a world leader. But basically what he was saying is it was that Jesus was the only world leader that kind of understood the value and exemplified uh, the, the, or exemplified meekness as a world leader. So he, he looked at all the other world leaders and then he considered Jesus and he goes, Jesus is unique. You know, especially, I mean, what is he known for? Like being Lord, being king, right? Uh, uh, king of, uh, you know, king of heaven, king of glory, you know, king of the earth, right? And this guy is observing him, like his message and how he lived his life. He said he's the only world leader that actually sees the value and exemplifies this virtue called meekness. Now, again, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is simply power that's under control, right? And so when we consider the Lord, because obviously when we're dealing with pride, what's the opposite of pride? It's humility. It's meekness. It's humbling ourselves. And gentlemen, there's nothing wrong with that. We have to exercise that because we're proud creatures. And one of the things that Jesus did, not only by his life that he exemplified, but on, his, on the cross and, and even in his salvation, man cannot take credit for it. He just devastates. He just devastates our pride. He just crushes it to powder. Because somehow, some way, we want to take credit for it. You know, listen, the Lord just blows that up. And you got to remember, here's the Lord that has all authority in heaven and earth. And I want you to listen to these words. You, you probably know it by heart. They're so awesome. All right. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, boy. Do we need that in these days? People talking about sleeplessness and mental health. Our souls are not at rest, far from it. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, listen, gentlemen, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now, I'm sure he, on the outside, he was a man's man. He was a carpenter. You had to be strong to be a carpenter. But he's saying on the inside, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus, obviously, even how he came into the earth, how he was raised, his ministry. I mean, <laughs> it's so different than any other so-called king or any other so-called Lord in the earth. There is such humility, such humility. And yet he's the all-powerful, almighty God in the flesh. 
So he sets the example for us. And by the way, guys, when I was growing up, you know, it was a rough neighborhood. But one of the things I observed, even as a young man, a young boy growing up on the mean streets of Bridgeport, the biggest, baddest dudes in the neighborhood, I always observed that they could afford to be gentle. And I was like, wow. You know, these guys could tear people apart. But here's the thing. They, they, they kind of knew it, and they had that confidence. And so they, they weren't bullies. And I, and I saw that, they, that it afforded them this response of gentleness. And I always, that was always a curiosity to me kind of growing up, you know what I mean? Because there was guys who pretended to be bad, and they were bullies and stuff like that. And a you know, thing you got to do to a bully, you just got to stand up to him, right? Uh, but these guys who knew who they were and knew what they were capable of doing, they didn't have to express it. They didn't have to intimidate people. They didn't have to bully people. They knew it, and everybody else knew it. And it kind of gave them the freedom to be gentle. Right? It was pretty awesome, right? And so, you know, Paul admonishes us, right? That we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we should. Because where there's pride, gentlemen and ladies, man, there is strife. And with strife, every evil work. And so I want to conclude uh, this message with the book of Colossians. And we're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. To, so this is where how the Apostle Paul kind of admonishes us, teaches how do we deal with this old men, these besetting sins, right? Lust and anger and pride and laziness, right? How do we, how do we deal with that? biblically and so he says in verse 5 of chapter 3 this is the book of Colossians therefore put to death your members which are on the earth fornication uncleanness and a lot of times when it talks about uncleanness it's not just you know a bad body odor you know uh, but like it kind of connects to lewdness, right? So fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves, he's talking to Christians, so apparently, this stuff is still there. We still have stuff in the basement here, right? Stuff we got to deal with. We are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, gentlemen, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, I can go on because there's others, <laughs> other things 
I could say some things right now and this whole thing would explode. But <laughs> the point being, guys, the challenge is, you know, as men and women and children, right? But I'm talking mainly to men about these besetting sins. There are things that we have to consciously and deliberately put off. And there's things that we have to consciously and deliberately put on. And so understand, you know, when it comes to lust and anger and pride, right? Uh, this, this aggression that we have as men, right? You know, and Jesus acknowledges that. He, in fact, he says, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and violent men take it by force. Now, that seems like so, after we're talking about, oh, we're supposed to be lowly and gentle and kind and, you know, compassionate, you know, to follow the example of the Lord. And yet Jesus uses this incredible language, right? Like violent men and taking stuff by force, and this is how the kingdom's going to be advanced. And it's true. But what kind of violence are we talking about here, gentlemen? And I would submit to you the, the, the violence, the force that needs to be taken place in our lives is to examine our souls in the light of Christ, in the light of Scripture, and then we look at these besetting sins in our life, the, the lust, the anger, and the pride, and we go to war. We go to war. Like, we're, we're going to put this stuff to death. We're going to stomp it to the ground. You will not control me no more. Those days are over. And you got to get that Holy Spirit determination, gentlemen. You know, you just can't ignore stuff and stick your head in the sand and pretend like it's not happening. No, it's there. It's happening. We got to deal with it. Okay, so that's the first and foremost violence to advance the kingdom of God in us. Right? To put to death these things. To conquer them. To overcome them. Now, obviously, it's by the grace of God. It's by the truth of his word. It's by the power of his spirit. But, but brothers, listen, Paul is saying, hey, there's things we got to do. We got to put this stuff off. We got to put this stuff on. Right? So we, we got to be a little bit more conscientious and deliberate about this. Amen? So, brothers and sisters, I uh, pray that... Uh, oh, let me do say one more thing about the whole violence thing. Yeah, first we gotta, we got to do violence against the sin of the old man, the lusts and the passions of the old man. We do have to put that to death, gentlemen. But there's also a violence that advances the kingdom of God in the earth. And that's the violence that is committed against us as we spread the gospel of the kingdom with prayerfully signs and wonders following. So, you know, throughout church history, right, the martyr, martyrdom of the church, the martyrdom of the saints, you know, that is what, you know, has brought about the advancement of the kingdom of Christ in the earth, right? We, we know that historically. Um, we see it throughout scripture. Um, but it's kind of tough on us to live that out, right? 
I think it was Tozer or one of those guys that said we watch, uh, we kind of, you know, build memorials to the prophets and the reformers and the revivalists, and we treasure the blood that they shed in the cause of Christ. But we watch very carefully that not a single drop, you know, comes from us, right? And so, brothers and sisters, listen, um, the kingdom of heaven does suffer violence, and violent men do take it by force. Uh, but it starts from within. Amen. And we, we just go from there. So anyway, that's it for today's podcast, this episode, The Three Besetting Sins of Men. I pray it was a blessing to you, that it challenged you, that maybe brought some correction into your life, perhaps inspired you. I pray that it's so. Uh, if you like these podcast episodes, you know, continue to pray for us. Uh, you can support us financially. And you can spread these messages unto others. Well, until next time, brothers and sisters, you keep pressing on to that high call and prize in Jesus' name.